Uh, <laughs> uh, Micah 6.8, if you haven't figured it out yet, it's the name of our church, signature verses of church. And that says, and this is a di- little different translation that, than what we usually use, but it says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? And typically that, the question mark goes there. Uh, but to do justly or to act justly, to love kindness, in other translations it says mercy, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God, right? Now it's important, I think, to know from the very, very beginning that the, the, the concept of goodness here is, is practical and moral. It's practical and moral. It's not ethereal. It's not speculative. It's not like philosophical. It's not abstract. It is practical and moral. And God's definition of goodness comes out in, in three very practical moral elements. And that number one is, is that his people act justly, right? That we act justly, which is a basic commitment to fairness in interpersonal relationships, social institutions, and so on and so forth. It is not like a completely, uh, it's not a communistic or, or a socialistic view. It's a, not a nod to liberation theology. Don't make this something that it's not, right? It is just merely something that communicates a basic commitment to being each, uh, good to each other uh, or, te- or treating each other rightly in all of our dealings, no matter what our level in life, our station in life, it is that people just do well for, uh, for others, right? We treat each other well. Love mercy is to go beyond fairness, right? It's to go beyond fair- fairness and respond to the needs of other people, right? Compelling a person to uh, help whenever possible, Right? And, it, and it is seen in basic human kindness, and, and it is expressed in, in very practical ways, uh, verbal ways, how you speak to somebody, financial ways, what you do with your money to help other people, like giving money to Convoy of Hope when people are dying and things like that, uh, it physically helping people, uh, medically helping people, so on and so forth. And then walking humbly with God is to remain uh, responsive to God right? Submitting gladly to his will at all times. And this last point sets sort of a boundary within which we're to live, right? In our kindness, in our mercy, we can't let sympathy push us to do that which is unfair or violates God's will. God's law is still our standard which must be upheld. We answer to the Lord first. We don't answer to our culture, we also can't be so rigidly fair. And some people have just had those personalities where they're very black and white, right? You can't be so rigidly fair that we have no room for compassion or caring. Like a couple of weeks ago, I think I said, uh, managers do things right. Leaders do the right thing. Leaders know when to bend, right? When, when things need to bend and we need to make accommodation for things, you know, and bend the rules and all that kind of stuff. Because it's the right thing to do. You know, it's the good thing to do. Um, So, uh, walking humbly with God is always to walk the middle ground of avoiding extremes. You ever notice that Jesus is in the middle on so many things, or just on everything? He just resides in the middle. He doesn't take sides and all that kind of stuff. Like N.T. Wright said, 
Justice, this is a great quote. Remember this quote. Think on this quote and you will done, done yourself a really good thing. Justice without forgiveness is revenge. And forgiveness without justice is appeasement. Say that twice. That's worth a twice, twicer, right? Justice without forgiveness is simply only revenge. It's hurtful. Forgiveness without justice is appeasement. We're not talking about the world's justice. We're talking about Christian justice, right? The gospel justice. Jesus on the cross justice, right? Jesus on the cross forgiveness. So to come down hard on someone in a situation without having a heart of understanding and forgiveness for them isn't what justice means. People are not our enemies. Also, to simply overlook a transgression and a sin, simply forgiving without proper consequences is also not good, right? It's not glorifying God to do that. It's hard to do this stuff. It's hard to think through it. So act, love, walk. Do love, walk. Whatever you want to say, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. With who? With God. Because when you're doing this stuff with God, you're automatically doing it with the other people around you. The focus always being on our vertical relationship with Jesus, which then, then flows out of our life into a horizontal relationship with others. Like lights strung on a string, strung together, connected to the power source of Jesus, together as a community, automatically sort of giving light and life to each other and also the world around us. So as Christians... Everything comes under the umbrella of God's kingdom reign in life. Everything, right? A kingdom not of geographical boundaries. Rather, it is expressed wherever God's will is acknowledged and obeyed by His people. Expressed in justice, expressed in mercy by people who walk humbly with God. Great verse. Glad we chose it. In Micah's time... Uh, the nation of Israel was divided. Idolatry was rampant. Injustice was the norm, not justice. Right? The people weren't listening and they weren't following and therefore they weren't being obedient to God's... Uh, obedience to God wasn't, wasn't there. So God's love uh, and His mercy and His justice wasn't manifest among his people. And therefore it wasn't manifest to the nations that surrounded them, which he was always calling them to do. That was his desire, is that they would be a light to the nations around them. And at that time, and through Micah, God brings a charge against his people. And he asks them questions. He says, my people, what have I done to you? <laughs> right? When God says this stuff, I love, I love you know, he, he says, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. <laughs> Oh, if God said that to me, I, man, I think I would wet my pants, right? I think I really would. Answer me. It's like, Job, stand up. Put a steel rod in your back. I'm going to speak to you. It's like, whoa, my gosh, I just made some water, right? Um, I brought you up out of Egypt, he says. I redeemed you from the land of slavery, right? So he's reminding them of his loving faithfulness to them. Uh, but although God had enacted justice for them and shown mercy to them, they weren't reciprocating in reflecting that to the other people around them. So what this says is that my relationship with Jesus is revealed how well I'm 
connected to Jesus, uh, it's played out in how, how I treat you, my relationship with you. How I treat you reflects my heart before God. How I speak to my wife reflects how well I'm walking with the Lord. How I treat you doesn't make me a Christian, right? We're not under the law, but it does reveal where my heart is before God, right? And how well I reflect that to others. And they weren't walking humbly with God and, and acting justly and acting mercifully to each other. Instead, they were complaining about what they think God would expect of them. They were, they were whining about the outward things, the external things, and their hearts were very far. They were actually asking, how can I pay God off to make him happy? Listen to this. They say, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my, bo- my body for the sin of my soul? A payoff. In other words, what's going to make God happy? Do I have to give up all my stuff, right? All my goodies, all my junk. Do I have to sacrifice that, all that and leave it at the altar? And they are totally and absolutely focused on the externals and they are not at all thinking about the transformation of the heart. It's in this context that we get Micah 6.8, right? Where God says in response to their complaints, I expect my people, I expect my people to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Speaking of a transformed heart leading to loving action and attitude. And that is why when a leader falls in the Christian church into private sin and it comes out, it is especially devastating. Especially devastating. Right? If I treated a woman wrongly in this church in a sexually impure way, that would be horrible. Especially horrible. More horrible, I even think. 6-8 is unconventional, I think. We, we are, I mean, we are historic in, in, our, in our church expression, but we are sort of, un, in the sense that we experience this sort of centrifugal force where we're being spun out by this centripetal force holding us to Jesus, right? It's like the ice skater, right? It's like, that's Jesus, the guy, and that's me wearing the dress, right? (laughs) Right? We are externally focused as we're internally connected to Jesus. His kingdom is manifest in us as we are tethered to him, and we spin that out to others, right? Taste of Ardmore is a good place to do that, to go and talk to people and pray over them. And by the way, it's expensive to get a ticket to go to that thing, and it is good food. So if you volunteer, you get to go for free. Anyway... Um, I'm lazy. I'm paying for the ticket this year. Anyway, um, <laughs> but the, this worship service, our community groups, and all the other internal sort of initiatives are our spiritual base camps, right? There are base camps acting as both a refreshment for us and a training ground to bring the kingdom of God to others. So we strive to be culturally relevant to those who have given up on or never experienced church or Jesus or anything like that? If 6-8 should go away, the, the whole surrounding community, I would hope, would express a loss 
I know there are some community leaders, if we closed down, they would be like, oh, man. I mean, look at the Facebook post from Chris Leswing and, and uh, people like that, or community leaders saying, just praising you guys for what you do in this community. So if we close down, you know, some people should feel that something profoundly good is missing in their community. Something just, something merciful, something wonderful, right? Something humble. And we ask the question of others, you know, as we do this life with, with them, we ask them, are you on a spiritual journey? Are you disillusioned with life or with the church or anything like that? Are you curious about what faith is and who Jesus is and all that stuff? Are you skeptical of Christ's followers? And if so, you are welcome here at 6-8. But, come as you are, you're going to be changed. <laughs> right? That's, that's the old switcheroo. It's not a switcheroo if you tell them beforehand. But that's, that's what we want. We want people to come in and be healed and find life and be changed and transformed into the, into the heart of God. We want to be rooted in history. We're not disconnected like the cool whatever church. We are rooted in history. We share our history with all the historic Christians that have gone before us. We want to be relevant to the moment. We want to be able to speak into our culture and, and, and do that really well. And we also want to be a revelation of hope for the future. Because who has hope out there right now? Listen to the news. Nobody has hope. We want to follow Jesus. We want to follow Jesus, we want to live as Jesus did, and we want to manifest Jesus to this world. That is our purpose, vision, and mission statements. And to us, the values of community, grace, the story of God, and passionate worship, those are all our values. They all matter greatly to us. So, we're going to take the next few weeks, and we're going to review these foundational statements as a church against the backdrop of Micah's situation, right? Today, we're going to start with the first thing, the purpose statement, which is to live in obedience to Jesus' teaching and commands. And the shortened version of that is to follow Jesus. Right? It's easy to remember that. And these statements, I I should add that these statements are born out of a lot of thought and a lot of prayer. The the initial uh, church planting team, we spent a lot of time thinking about the name of this church and the, the purpose, vision, and mission statements and the values and all that kind of stuff. They are not Scripture in and of themselves, but they are pregnant with the values of Scripture. They are reflective of the goodness that is expressed in Micah 6 eight. I really do believe that. I think our, our purpose, vision, and mission statements aren't just to have like our incorporation done. You know, these are important statements to us, Right? And we should notice that each one of them has this shortened version uh, for simplicity's sake. The, the scripture calls us, I think, to, to not only grasp the gospel in an intellectual sense, but to assimilate it into our heart, into our lives, allowing it to take over all that we are. And that is what Micah 6 8 says. We are changed people that reflect the heart of God. So we like to say at 6 8. There's a few sayings that we kind of throw around quite a bit. One is that everything's spiritual. Making your bed is spiritual. Drinking coffee is spiritual. Going to work is spiritual. Coming to church is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. There is no sort of breakout, you know, well, that's spiritual and this is secular. There's nothing that is secular. That is the lie that everybody buys. You are, it is either spiritual in glorification of Jesus or not spiritually glorifying to Jesus. 
Everything is spiritual, right? And we like to remind everybody of that all the time. We also like to say everybody gets to play. We just did a whole sermon series on it. You know, all of you, every single one of us gets to do something for the kingdom. God has gifted you. He has blessed you with your own unique personality that he loves. And he wants you to express the kingdom to other people around you through that. A lot of you don't believe that you have any voice there, but you do. I was getting texts all week from people, and, and at our community group too, people were sharing that they've, they've finally taken the step of praying over somebody out there in the world. I was like so struck by that. It is so encouraging for a pastor to hear that happen, and people are texting me like, oh my gosh, I prayed over somebody, it went so well. They were so, they even grabbed my hand and they closed their eyes, and they were so into it. You are, all of us are starting to do this. God bless you. God bless you. Amen, right? Come on, amen. <laughs> Woohoo! That's right. Everybody gets to play. If we are Christ followers, then we are ministers of His kingdom goodness, right? We live in obedience to Jesus' teaching and commands. We follow Him. And following, following and obedience are synonymous. Listening plus following equals obedience. If you didn't know that. <laughs> right? Listening plus following equals obedience. Jesus expects his followers to listen and follow. He doesn't lord it over you. He doesn't crush you when you don't. It's, he wants you to want it. Right? Jesus expects his followers to listen and follow just as he expected it in Micah's time. As a result... We want to be obedient to that. We don't want to repeat the same mistakes of Micah's day, right? Jesus told Peter in John 21, I love Peter, he's such a bull in a china closet, right? He says, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go, right? You went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and they will lead you where you do not want to go. Wow, that's a profound statement. They weren't just talking, he wasn't just talking about Peter's future death, being led to death, right? But he was talking about, I think, his life from that moment on. That moment on. Right? Scripture tells us that we we have moved from being slaves to righteousness, or slaves to sin, to moving to being slaves of righteousness into the kingdom of God. So freedom from sin doesn't translate to freedom to to do whatever I want to do. That's just going back to slavery if I just do whatever I want to do. That's what Israel did in Micah's time, right? Rather, if we say we follow Jesus, our questions in life must change. Our desires begin to reflect the the, the desires of God. Our heart reflects His. And we respond to what's right before us with justice and we respond with mercy as we walk humbly with God. No longer are we saying, where do I want to go in life? That's not the Christian question. We're saying, where is God leading me? Where is God taking me? What is my kingdom purpose? How is He using me? How do I follow Jesus today? Those are the questions that we ask. Right? Right? Listening to God, the living word, and God, the Holy Spirit, allowing him to dress me into Christ's righteousness and taking me wherever he pleases, which is sometimes very frightening, right? We must be led 
And being led means trust, something that they didn't have in Micah's time, right? Jesus desires followers and wants us to understand the cost, right? A scribe came to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. You know how we just like quickly make these statements, right? I will follow you wherever you go. Ooh. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes. <laughs> you can see him like crookedly. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have their nests. But the Son of God got no place to put his head, right? Now, we remember while Jesus was teaching in the synagogue about what it meant to follow him. And it says this, on hearing it, all the people there, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And by the way, nobody can accept Jesus' teaching without Jesus, without redemption, without the power of the Spirit in your life, without, without being changed. And at that point, they walked away. It was too hard. Large crowds followed Jesus up to the crucifixion, but then they dissipated at the first sign of difficulty. Shallow hearts. Shallow hearts, right? The scribe was the same. He was a disciple in the loose sense of the word, one one on the periphery, always on the outskirts, one who liked the fuzzy, feel-good words of Jesus, but when he's called to actually sacrifice himself, he's nowhere to be found. Jesus wasn't saying that a follower must live in poverty. Rather, a follower senses they have no true home until Jesus returns. That there's always a shift. Right? They're led wherever He calls them. Even to places they don't want to go, geographically or metaphorically, if that's the correct word. I'm not even sure if it is. But I had a friend. I was on the phone the other night with a friend of mine, and I said, how's your wife? And he goes, oh, she's going to Basra, Iraq. I said, Basra, Iraq, that's, that's brave. He said, yeah, they just shut down the consulate there due to unrest. My wife's going to do ministry. I said, how do you feel about that? He goes, I'm pretty proud of her. Then he made some joke about if she dies over there, he'll like, sell the main house and go for a trip someplace. And I said, dude, that's a bad joke. He was like, yeah, I know it is. Or he leads us into places that we don't want to go in our hearts. Right? I was talking to somebody recently who had to have a hard conversation with someone that was close to them. And they said, I just don't want to do this. But I got to do it. Because God leads us to deal with issues in our hearts, right? Peter, as impetuous as he was, right, made these same bold statements, if you remember, about following Jesus even to the death. But he denied Jesus three times, didn't he? Right? We are so quick to say this stuff. But Peter's heart was sincere, I think, and he had to learn this lesson. He was restored on the beach, if you remember that. He even had to follow Jesus into difficult moments in places foreign and frightening, and he did that later in life. This scribe is somewhat different than Peter, I think. The the preaching of Jesus had riveted him, had charmed him. His heart had swelled. Enthusiasm was kindled in in his mind, right? And in that state, he makes this bold statement. He'll go anywhere with him, and he feels impelled to tell Jesus this. Yet Jesus seems to know his heart, and he puts the challenge where it needs to be. And the shallow hearted person needs to ask Is Jesus really worth it? Is Jesus really worth it? Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. 
And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. There was a, a ministry started decades ago, uh, which exists for tired Christians. And it exists because they had found that many Christians, uh, men and women, though they attended church their whole life and all that kind of stuff, they never lived out of this kingdom mindset. Life was really about them. And when they retire, they find their whole life has been spent on things that, that have no lasting eternal significance. They didn't really live with any purpose. They would not asked the kingdom questions of life. They were entangled hearts. People like this man, right, who look around at life and they ask themselves at a young age, what do I want to get out of my life? What are my plans? What's my American dream? Right? And they say, I can follow Jesus after I build my nest egg, after I build my career, after I pursue my dreams. And that may not be even a conscious decision. That's pretty, isn't it? <laughs> the neighbors apparently are upset because the, the bells go off at 1 or 2 in the morning. <laughs> not, my, not my problem. Anyway, <laughs> but... You know, it may not be a conscious decision for people like this, you know, uh, but when they retire and they're sitting around the house and they're bored, you know, they, their, their inner motivations are revealed. Work's gone. Now they don't really have any purpose. See, you've got to understand, this man's dad wasn't dead. The funeral wasn't that day, right? Jesus would, would, would certainly not say, don't go to your dad's funeral today. That's not what he was saying. The man was saying, let me go home, let me work, let me do my life, let me see my father pass on, let me gain his estate, then I will follow you after I find my financial security. The entangled heart needs to understand the primacy and the urgency of Jesus' kingdom call right now. Right now. Jesus is calling you out right in this moment. Then another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, this is a hard one, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I met a Jewish woman once who had raised her son in a reformed synagogue here on the main line, and I asked her where she goes to synagogue now, and she she laughed, and she said, my kids are grown, why would I still go to synagogue? (laughs) And then she expressed how her disdain that her son was living in Jerusalem at this point in his life, studying to be an Orthodox Jewish rabbi, which didn't fit, I guess, her Reformed upbringing or Reformed views. And she said, I don't want him to become one of those guys, but they think he's going to be some kind of great scholar. He studies like crazy, you know, over there, and they think he's really going to be some great rabbi. And, And when he comes home to visit, my apartment becomes a frat house. He flies straight and narrow in Jerusalem, right? But when he comes home, he sleeps around, he smokes pot, and he drinks like there's no tomorrow. And she just didn't really care about the partying. That's not what upset her. But she thought it was really funny how he changed when he was at home. He's a man, in other words, with a foot in two worlds. The divided heart. The divided heart. And before we would pass judgment on like this, let's ask the question of ourselves. Do we have our hand on the plowshare and are we looking back at what we think we're missing out in life? 
I had another conversation with somebody recently that they were very tempted friendship, friendships to get them into certain things. And they said to me very honestly, and I thought it was a good thing to say, they said, I just feel like I'm missing out on experiences if I don't do those things. Colleges, college students, uh, high school students, you guys are really struggle with these things. Because in life right now, in the current secular worldview, experience is king. Feelings are king. It's a matter of integrity, right? Are you the same person on a Sunday morning that you are at home, in your daily life, in your private life? Thinking we're allowed to live however we please in the private moments and then put on a show at church. Is that how you are? Believing it's okay to harbor some sort of privates in life and not worrying about the integrity of our walk and our witness in community. Is that what life is like for you? This is the person that is so divided, they never really grow forward. They never get any place. They never take the opportunity for ministry. They don't, they, Jesus is the afterthought. They haven't fully realized the deep joy of kingdom life, of walking in Jesus, the excitement and the obedience to Jesus. You know, last night I sat, after all the guys went home, I sat and writing this email and it got fairly long because I was just so excited about our church. I, that, that excites me. I'm writing this email, I'm like, oh, finally I said, I'll stop, I could write for hours. Just so excited about what God is doing here. It's much better than you know, all the other junk out in the world. So the divided heart actually needs to renounce their former life. To denounce those things or keeping them uh, away from Jesus. They need to learn to trust Jesus with their whole life. And by the way, sometimes that takes other people around you helping you do that. Leading you through the prayer of renouncing and denouncing things that, that are holding you back. You may not even realize some of the things that are holding you back. You want to do that? Ask Rachel. She'll set something up for you. Um, and it's just great. It's great to be freed from those things. I just went through that restoring the foundations, Rachel's dad and uh, his secretary, nice little lady, uh, Sue, prayed over me for, I think, 10 hours straight. Freaking crazy. Like, why would you do that? Why would you, like, why would you invite some guy with dreadlocks, some dork, you know, to come and then be so nice to pray over him for 10 hours? They didn't have to do that. They didn't ask for money or anything. It was just... They're just serving the Lord by serving people. It was wonderful. Jesus said to John in, uh, in John 14, 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And that is the same message as Micah 6, 8, by the way, right? Whether it's the shallow, entangled, or divided heart, we must realize that to listen and follow leads to obedience, and in doing so, God abides in us. It's not an intellectual set of principles. It's not just theology. It is an actual vibrant relational life. God living in and through us when we are 100% bought in. And like the parable of the seeds on the various grounds, you know that story, we've got to pray that God makes our heart fertile soil to soak up His Word and soak up His story and soak up His life. So I'll leave you with a few thoughts. Listening equals reading. Listening equals reading. You can't become what you were meant to be in Jesus without a healthy love of His Word, of the Bible, 
You know, spiritual formation means assimilating the Word of God, the Bible, into your life, like a daily quiet time in the Word. A sermon, a community group, books by other authors, and all that kind of stuff are wonderful, and you should take those in, but they don't replace allowing God to speak to your heart directly through His Word. Last night, uh, during the testimony time, a number of guys said that they had read through the Bible in a year, and not one of them uh, said that it was a waste of time. All of them said, I, it did more for me than I ever thought it would. It was just incredible. And some are doing it twice. So, take in the word. Listening also equals listening in prayer. Right? Uh, being, n- not being sort of like the pontificating sort of, you know, whatever theologian to God. He wrote the Bible. He doesn't need you to regurgitate it all the time to him telling him what he should do and all that kind of stuff, right? We, we don't just study. We actually interact with God, the Holy Spirit, as, we, as our guide and our comfortable. God is alive and speaking to us, right? So do I listen as I pray? Is there any silence and any solitude in my life where I have a chance to reflect and listen to that still, small voice that gets drowned out by, by Netflix and everything else, and all the news and the vitriol out there. You've got to retreat. You've got to go quiet. Jesus did it. And get with the Lord. And it's wonderful. Kim and I went on that two-day silent, semi-silent retreat. It was just absolutely wonderful to be able to listen to the voice of God, right? And then finally, listening and, vo- and following equals doing, which equals obedience, right? Granted, you don't, have, you don't gain uh, or attain your relationship with God through good works by what you do, right? God wasn't saying to his people in Micah's day, this is how you gain favor with me. They were already God's people. They were already Israel. They were already his people. He was saying, as my people, as subjects of my kingdom, I want you to reflect me. I want you to reflect my heart. That's what he was saying. So God creates you. He saves you. He prepares you for good works. For by grace, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is, not, this is not of your own doing. This is Ephesians chapter 2. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, or beforehand, that we should walk in them. And James 1.22 makes it very clear. He says, be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Because if you do that, you're just deceiving yourself. So it doesn't really matter that I say I love Jesus. If my words don't ref- aren't reflected in my heart towards the world around me, it's em- they're empty words. They're empty words. So our purpose to live in obedience to Jesus, teaching and commands, to follow Jesus, an age-old call that we share with those to whom Micah preached as well, a call consistent throughout Scripture and throughout history, the kingdom of God manifest where people listen and follow and obey, doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. It's right there under my sleeve. And if you didn't get a t-shirt, they're all ready. <laughs> Free. That's why we have this purpose statement. That's why we have it. It's, a, it's an important statement. And there is always, 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 can't say that clearly enough, grace for the shallow heart, the entangled heart, and the divided heart. I have been all three myself. Peter had to grow into it, right? He did. He had to be changed. He had to be transformed. And this is where it happens. In community with other believers. 
He had to learn his words of love and devotion had to be matched with his changed heart and his action in life. He had to follow Jesus wherever he was led. In Jesus, his life was no longer his own. Neither is yours. Therefore, he, this, this becomes our purpose here at 6-8. To become, to be, not only to become, but also to make followers of Jesus unfettered by the shallow, the entangled, or the divided heart, which actually will lead us into our vision statement next, next week, week, which is uh, to live as Jesus did. Let me pray for us as Rachel comes up. She's going to share some things with us this morning. Father, we thank you that your spirit is here. And uh, we want to be people that reflect your heart to the world. We want to be people that love you, not only in word, but in the inner attitudes of our heart and in, in how we treat the world. The world out there screaming for hope and clamoring for people that would treat each other's well when all we're seeing is people that don't treat each other well so we just pray that they would start to look at the church as the place that is a safe place to come and find peace and love and mercy Lord, we, uh, we just thank you